primarily how I find my areas I want to hunt is basically through Google Earth and Onyx. And the areas that I primarily hunt or target are flat desert terrain with no elevation at all. And I look for areas with thick cover or small dense pockets of cover. And then what I'll do is I'll get on Onyx and I'll look and see basically how many stands I can make in that area for the day. My goal is to try and call the coyotes out of cover. So I try to set up where I can have a view of that area and where basically the coyote is most likely to pop out downwind of the call. So when possible, I like to set up using like a crosswind or a diagonal wind and have a view of that downwind side. So then I'll try and position myself away from the call in an area that if the coyote circles downwind, I'll have the, the, best, the best shot opportunity. So when I go to set up, I always look for a place to break up my cover. Mm -hmm. or my outline so i'll set up against the bush or a tree and just have something to break up my outline then i'll place the call kind of in, in relation to the wind direction so like i said in an area where a coyote's most likely to come into the call and give me a shot opportunity if i know that there's coyotes in that area like if i know there's coyotes in here i'll run it for 20 25 minutes mm -hmm. and then if it's a small area like a small quarter by a quarter mile section of cover. I'll only run that eight, 10 minutes and then move on to the next stand. Hey guys, welcome to Days in the Wild Big Game Hunting Podcast. I want to take a minute to introduce you to a new organization called Howl for Wildlife. Howl was grown out of the necessity to have a fast acting tool to focus the sportsman's voice on issues concerning wildlife management and hunting. It's Howell's goal to shut down any initiative that doesn't support sound management practices before it even makes it to the ballot, and certainly before it reaches the court. I know I sound like a broken record, but we need to start looking at hunting as a community and not just an individual sport. And that means supporting all hunting, whether we engage in duck hunting or predator hunting or anything in between. We are all in this for different reasons, and unfortunately it's this difference that will be on our undoing if we let it. So we need to come together as one pack and let our diversity be our strength. We are a strong force if we band together, one voice, one howl. I want you to go to howlforwildlife.org, that's H-O-W-L for wildlife.org, and join there. There's no cost to you to becoming a member. Howl operates solely on donations, so it's completely up to you if you decide you want to send money or not. There'll be no annoying emails, no newsletter advertisements or money grabs or anything like that. No drives. Signing up as a member just means that when there's an issue concerning wildlife management like this attempt on banning mountain lion hunting and bear hunting in Arizona, you will be called to stand with us and let your voice be heard. So get out there, get on Howlful Wildlife, become a member and join the pack. Thank you. Let's jump into this episode. Hi, welcome to Days in the Wild Big Game Hunting Podcast brought to you by Phoenix Shooting Bags. Today, we're going to talk to uh, Levi Adamson. We're going to do a little podcast here on uh, predator hunting and uh, pick his brain a little bit. What's going on, man? Not much. How are you doing? Um, I'm good. Real good. Good, good. Everything's good. Family's good. Just super super busy like yeah, ridiculous busy it's been non-stop week for me between 
work around the house and the spring weather and trying to get the yard ready. So one of those, one of those weeks. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. Well, before we kind of get into it, let's, uh, let's get a little rundown about you and cool. Well, definitely not too much to, to go off there. I was, I was born in the panhandle in Nebraska. I know you had oh, Jacob Downs on your podcast a few times. Well, he and I grew up together in the panhandle, Nebraska. Then most of my growing up was in the Southeast Wyoming and oh, I really didn't pick up predator hunting at all until say my junior high or high school year. Mm-hmm. I got one of those. I'm not sure if you remember those old Johnny Stewart cassette players. Oh yeah, players. absolutely. Yeah. So that was <laughs> that was one of my first calls. I think you could only stick the speaker maybe 15 out, 15 feet out from you. But I remember me and my buddies kind of driving out. We really didn't have a clue what we were doing, but we did a lot of trial on there and we had fun doing it. But and then I moved to Arizona in 2005. Yeah, I was going to say, you've been out here for a bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I moved out here in 05, and then I didn't start hunting in Arizona until 2009. And I told myself growing up that I'd never miss a hunting season in my life. Well, that that happened quite a bit as soon as I moved to Arizona because I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life, you know, mm-hmm. career-wise. And So anyways, long story short, I was going out quail hunting for the first time, and I had that old Johnny Stewart caller for whatever reason in my vehicle. And I was like, what the heck? I'll give this a shot. And, uh, fired <laughs> that thing up and called a coyote in. And all of a sudden that obsession started. So that year I went out and bought a couple hand calls, a shotgun, and then went to calling. And I joined the Arizona predator callers club. Mm-hmm. And that year I ended up getting novice caller of the year. And then after that year, I kind of took about a 12-year hiatus from a predator calling. Just busy with focusing on life. And then I started focusing on big game hunting. And last year, 2021, mm-hmm. during the OTC archery hunts, sitting in water, we had so many coyotes coming into water. And my girlfriend, she was wanting to hammer one of those coyotes with her bow, but fortunately never to get a shot. So after that hunt ended... Went and bought us a couple more shotguns, bought a Fox Pro, and last year we ended up with taking 48 Fox, 40 Coyotes, and three Bobcats in 2021. So it was a it was a fun year, and we definitely got after it pretty hard. Awesome. Are you so not? But you're aren't you guiding for predator hunts now too? No. Or did I see no, that? I was, no. Okay. No, I just. I'll do big game hunts, primarily elk and unit 10 and oh. some kaibab deer hunts. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cool. Well, I know you've had a bunch of success at it, so I kind of wanted to pick your brain and see uh, see if we couldn't pull any uh, tidbits out of there. Yeah, no problem. So what are you doing to locate areas of where you want to hunt? Primarily how I find my areas I want to hunt is basically through Google earth and Onyx and the areas that I primarily hunt or target are flat desert terrain with no elevation at all. And I look for areas with thick cover 
or small dense pockets of cover. And then what I'll do is I'll get on Onyx and I'll look and see basically how many stands I can make in that area for the day. Cause I just don't want to go out there for a couple stands. I want to be able to hunt pretty much most of the day. Mm-hmm. So that's a couple of the things that I look for. And then I also try to look for spots that are pretty much overlooked by other people. Cause you know how many callers we have here in Arizona. They're, everybody's calling out, out there calling coyotes. So mm-hmm. for example, one of my favorite stands is right next to a shooting range. Mm. And most people would overlook that because of the constant sound of gunfire. Right. But the thing is that area has cover. It's got water and those coyotes are conditioned to that noise. So they're in there and they, they constantly respond. It's one of my go-tos. And then another one of my areas has the constant sound of machinery in the background. And that's another thing people would overlook. You know, they hear that machinery in the background, like, oh, man, there's no dogs here. I've been hunting that same stand, and I could hear people's voices <laughs> while, while I'm sitting there calling, and it had coyotes come in while you can hear people talking. So that's another thing. So I try to kind of look for those off-the-wall spots that not many people are, are hitting. Yeah, that's fun. It's funny that you say that. I'm on the same way. I look for places that people completely overlook. Yeah, there's one spot that I, I primarily hunt. I actually took Jake Downs there. Oh man, this is years ago, maybe ten years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, it it's a thick cover tree line, and then there's a body of water in between me and where I play or in between me and the coyotes basically so I set the call on my side of the water and the coyotes basically pop their head out like that game whack-a-mole you <laughs> call and all of a sudden coyote head pops out and they just stand there and look at the decoy and hammer them same thing we had a bobcat this year on that stand do the exact same thing just creep out but I called I actually found that spot 12 years ago and still still not like a great producer today but 12 years ago i was calling that spot and i actually had a coyote swim across that body of water and come into the call never had that happen before so that's, that's crazy that's crazy that's cool yeah. yeah i i um i find that once i i find a good stand a good producing stand as long as i give it plenty of time to rest and i'm talking like six months to a year I will often call coyotes right out of that same stand again or oh, yeah. predators yeah, man. in general. Some of my spots, well, I'll get into it here in a little bit, but some of my spots, I have even went back out the next day and even hit the same stands again and <laughs> I called coyotes out. So, Yeah. I See, I've never really done – I've never done well doing that, and you're not the first person that said that to me. I think it's because you've – you know, it must be a good traveling corridor or either a good hunting area or something like that. That Yeah. Yeah. That uh, attracts multiple. Because coyotes are pretty territorial and they'll run off other coyotes. So, but that yeah, doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that, you know, when you called in that the first one that it, you know, the rest of the pack that he was involved in couldn't have, you know, come the next day, you know? Yeah, so, exactly. Well, that's, that's part of it. That, that specific stand or that specific area, one of the stands there, I think the first day we even called that area, that stand we called in seven coyotes on the first stand. 
And it was just like, wow, two come from the left, two come from the right. And we shot two, and then here come three more. And it's like, holy cow, this is freaking awesome. Yeah, it's pretty nuts. <laughs> but that that area, how I actually found that, I was driving down the interstate, and I'm always looking around, you know, well, I see three dead coyotes in like a two-mile stretch. Mm-hmm. So I immediately hop on Onyx, yeah. mark my location on the interstate, and then hop on Onyx and sit there and, okay, put that all together. And then we went out there. And that day we ended up calling 20 coyotes and 16 of them were before noon. It was, it was a phenomenal day of calling. Yeah, I'd say. (laughs) (laughs) And that, with that day, we called in the the 20 coyotes the next day. We went out there and called in nine more, all hitting the same stands. So that's awesome. It's pretty cool. Hell yeah. So what is, um, what's your philosophy in setting up and, you know, relationship to the win and finding, finding where you're going to actually get a call from where your stance that is. Uh, for win, man, I'm constantly paying attention to win. Mm-hmm. Like it's kind of ridiculous. I have an app on my phone called windy mm-hmm. and what it does is it, it basically shows you the forecasted wind. I think it goes all the way out to like three days or something. So it show you the wind currents. You can zoom in on the mountains so you can see what the wind currents do around mountain faces. So I'll check that probably the day before I go calling. And then when I'm driving out to the stands or out to the area I'm going to call, I'll check that app. And I'll basically plan my entire day off of wind direction. Hmm. So that's basically how I do that. But um, like I mentioned, the areas I typically call are areas of cover. So my goal is to try and call the coyotes out of cover. Mm-hmm. So I try to set up where I can have a view of that area and where basically the coyote is most likely to pop out downwind of the call. So when possible, I like to set up using like a crosswind or a diagonal wind and have a view of that downwind side. So, so then I'll try and position myself away from the call in an area that if the coyote circles downwind, I'll have the like the best the best shot opportunity. Yeah. And all that kind of changes depending on how thick the cover is in the area I'm calling or how big the shooting area I have is. Mm-hmm. It kind of determines where I'll place that call in relation to me, but I'm constantly playing the wind. Sweet. And another thing I used to I used to work a canine and one of the training exercises that we would train our dogs with is called an open area search. So basically we'll stick their target scent like 300 yards out and these dogs would be off leash and we're just kind of simulating just going on a walk. Well, all of a sudden their nose hits that scent cone Mm -hmm. and they start working that scent cone all the way back to the target source. But so that kind of opened my eyes up a lot to how a canine's nose works. And that's kind of helped a lot in coyote hunting to see how far those dogs could pick up the scent and, there's no way you can fool a dog's nose or mask your scent from a coyote. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, we've all had coyotes coming downwind from us, mm-hmm. but we all know that's not the norm. And usually I think it's they're just running so damn hard that they're not really, yeah. like, they're and really I've not catching that. that, you know. Yeah, and I've noticed that especially in thicker cover. Yeah. You know, because I think, I think those coyotes feel more comfortable in that thicker cover. Cause a lot of, you know, I said, I, I hunt thick areas. Well, some of them are extremely thick. Some of them I'm only getting like a 10 yard shooting lane. 
I'm nestled down with a shotgun on my butt underneath a tree and having coyotes. I'm anticipating them popping out in this little shooting lane. So Mm -hmm. I think they feel a lot more comfortable in those areas. So I do the same. I hunt real thick stuff and it's mainly because I'm hunting with a, I usually do most of my own personal coyote hunting with a bow. Yeah. I've seen that. Somebody posted on Instagram. So in order for me to get them where I want them to be, I got to control the environment. So I do that by picking a very specific setup so that I have them coming much like you said, you want them to come, you know, maybe possibly from the, you know, downwind side and have, I always keep perpendicular wind because I want them to come across me. Yeah. Yep. So, but, um, you know, that changes if I'm firearm hunting, I, you know, I could do the diagonals. I can, you know, cheat the wind a little bit here and there, but. Yeah. It's, it's man, I'm constantly checking the wind as soon as I hop out of the truck at the stand soon as i get to the stand and it's always like a sinking feeling when you're set up and you get the car set up and you start calling all of a sudden you feel it change mm-hmm. going right winds blowing right to them and you're like oh man <laughs> see how this pans out yeah you know you definitely have to play the wind without a doubt and that's with any hunting but i'm really particular about my scent control and i found that a lot of times even if I don't have the wind perfect, I've been successful. And not just with coyotes, yeah. but you can, if you can fool them to the extent, and it depends where, it, got to, it really depends where you're hunting and how you're hunting, but if you can fool them to the extent that they think that that little bit of human scent that they're smelling is much older, you know, yeah. because it's not a full nose full or whatever, or it's much further away. I don't know. You know, I'm not really sure what goes through their mind. I'm not an animal, so I can't tell you, but (laughs) I think that's what happens. It's like, oh, I smell human, but that doesn't smell like it's 50 yards away. It smells like it's 200 yards away. Like that kind of philosophy, I think, and it kind of buys you time. You can get away with some stuff like that. But So speaking about scent, not necessarily all this has to do with scent, but how do you enter and exit your sets um well well usually when i'm trying to pick a stand i first thing i'm doing is i'm trying to find a spot to hide my pickup truck mm-hmm. and sometimes in the flat desert there's not a lot of cover because like i said i'm trying to call them out of cover mm-hmm. so if there's not a spot to hide my truck sometimes that can be difficult but most of the time i find somewhere to stash it and then when walking into the area I try not to walk through the area where I think a coyote will come through or come across. So I try not to walk a path that they're going to come through. Mm-hmm. In other words, basically my scent cone would carry into that area where the coyotes are laid up. I always try to stay as quiet as possible walking into stands or setting up for my stand. For example, this year my girlfriend and I were calling and this is kind of funny. We set up in a spot and, I'm looking down at my Fox Pro remote and we just set the caller out. She's off to my side, probably about 50 yards. And I'm just barely tapping on the volume, getting the stand started. 
And this is like 15 seconds into it. I hear a gunshot <laughs> and I immediately think to myself, she just AD'd her shotgun into the ground oh, and then boom, there's another gunshot. I look up and there's a coyote running right at me. And I'm like, what in the heck? But yeah, I went, oh, we ended up killing it. But I asked her, I said, what happened? She's like, as soon as you started the volume on the call, that coyote came charging out. So either two things he was either laid up and we came in there quiet and he didn't hear us mm-hmm. or he was just walking through as we were setting up and then heard that noise and came charging in i've had it, i've had it had happen i can't even tell you how many times less than 20 seconds out of coyote oh, and yeah, it's, it's because it's you're surreal. going you're picking a really good spot you know that there's coyotes right there and it's if you're going in super low impact like your stock is i tell people this all the time i go like I'm pretending like there's a deer over there, right? I'm trying to get into that spot as quietly as possible. Yeah, and I've had that same thing happen with bobcats. The majority of the bobcats I've called in have been under two minutes. That's so awesome. I think they're pretty dang close as well. And uh, Yeah, I would imagine. Coyote, I mean, not coyotes, but bobcats aren't usually. Not that they can. I've seen them, but they're usually not hard charging. They don't come running from... Yeah, I've had, I've had uh, two that have surprised me. Three, actually. I'll, I'll tell you that story real quick. At least one of these. So sure. This is kind of funny. Also, I had a, we were sitting there trying to call coyotes out of this area, so I was using pup distress, and no, absolutely no cover in this area where we're at. So I'm trying to call them out of cover, and it's just flat rock, just absolutely flat rock, no cover. Well, out pops a bobcat about 80 yards. And it's coming kind of diagonal towards me, but heading to the call. And it's out there about 50 yards in front of me, heading straight to my girlfriend. And I'm just sitting on my butt behind this little bush. Well, I go to move my AR to track it in case something happens. That bobcat catches my movement out of the corner of its eye and immediately turns right towards me, crouches down, starts speed walking, then starts running right at me. Mm Mm-hmm. And all I see is fur in my scope. I ended up dropping it at five yards. Oh, crazy. And I was like, holy cow. I jumped up and I yelled at my girlfriend to get over there. And I'm shaking. I'm trembling. Because that was quite the little adrenaline rush. Feeling like I'm almost going to get eaten by a bobcat. (laughs) And then uh, another bobcat I called this year. It came flying in. I was hunting a real thick area. And I had a shooting lane about 15 yards. Mm -hmm. And we've called five bobcats out of the same spot. Nice. And it came, it came flying in. I had a sprint, and I shot it at the run with a shotgun, and had to pepper it two more times with the shotgun. But man, it was—if I wouldn't have shot it that first time, I think it would have bounced off the collar. Yeah, so. that's crazy. I've actually had them, both coyotes, bobcats, and javelina, have all come in and picked up the call in their mouth and ran with it a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, this I'm surprised the uh, caller hasn't got shot this year because it's been hit pretty hard between the coyotes and fox. So, and it, I always try to bark them or lip squeak them to a stop, something. Mm-hmm. But there's been a couple times this year where barking or yelling just doesn't do anything. I swear, this one coyote he stuck his nose in there, and that decoy is just sitting there smacking him in the face, and I'm trying to get a shot off. But I want to shoot my collar. But <laughs> that's funny. Uh, it's been fun. Yeah, Kaya, I don't. I'm surprised you had that with a Kaya. Like Kaya's, 
tend to be like I can see Fox for sure. Fox has got short man's disease, so they'll oh yeah, they've had them. They'll jump up on your in your face and start barking at you. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah coyotes. I I leave that decoy on. I never use a decoy. Pretty much majority of all my sets, unless I'm using coyote vocalization. That's the only time I've ever had them check up is coming in when I'm using coyote vocalization and they see that decoy. I think they start wondering, okay, what the heck's going on here? Yeah, yeah. But majority of the time, I constantly have that decoy going because, like I said, I think it's probably primarily the areas I, I hunt. But they just come flying in, locking into that decoy, especially the fox. Yeah. No, that's cool. So, I mean, we kind of touched on this a little bit, but let's walk me through a hunt from start to finish. Like, you know, paint a picture for us. You drive in, get out, perfect time of day, perfect conditions, walk out to your stand, whatever. Tell me what the stand looks like, how far you keep the call away, and then walk us through your calling sequence, the whole bit. Just take us okay. through Take us through one. I know it's going to be different all the time, but just yeah, yeah. in a perfect world, but let's, uh, you know. I guess the basically the main things I look for, like I said, is I'll look for cover, shooting lanes, and a wind direction. That pretty much sums up how I set up every single stand. So when I go to set up, I always look for a place to break up my cover mm-hmm. or my outline. So I'll set up against a bush or a tree and just have something to break up my outline. Then I'll place the call kind of in, in relation to the wind direction. So like I said, in an area where a coyote's most likely to come into the call and give me a shot opportunity. So that's basically how I'll set up my stand now. And that's all dependent on my shooting lane like i said some of my areas i have a 10 10 or 15 yard shooting lane some of them are 200 yards you know so that majority of the time i'd say my callers anywhere from 30 to 40 yards away that's pretty much the average that i'd say on that and if if it's kind of like a 100 yard area opening for my shooting lanes that's basically kind of how far i'll set the collar away from me and then in closer dense areas where my shooting lane is small i may have that only 10 yards from me and then that's basically for coyotes Mm -hmm. Um, my setup for fox i'll typically use a, a bush or a tree on the side of the mountain or i'll nestle into some boulders um depending on where i'm calling but for fox, I'm looking for rocky terrain, boulders, on um, basically big jagged mountains that stick up out of the flat desert. And I like to be able to have a view looking up towards the top of the mountains when I'm calling fox mm-hmm. and calling the fox down from the tops to me. Because not a lot of the times I'm not calling fox from below me. They're usually always coming from on top unless they're coming off from another mountain away from me mm-hmm. sometimes they'll they'll travel that flat bottom and come up to me for sound sequences on coyotes i'll usually run through four to five sounds and i'll start out with a low volume 
typically in the middle of the season, I'll use like a, a baby rabbit or rodent or bird to start out for the first couple minutes. Mm-hmm. Then I'll switch it up to um, a similar pitch sound and slowly increase that volume for a few minutes. And then from there, I'll switch it up to usually a pup distress for a few minutes. And if that doesn't work, then I'll, I'll go to like a raspier, louder distress sound, you know, for like a, a snowshoe hair, devil hair, something like that. And then I'll usually end the stand. Majority of my stands for coyotes all end with a pup distress. But in the early season, I'll usually start out with pup distress mm-hmm. and I'll run basically the entire stand switching up in between different pup distress sounds, maybe three different pup distress sounds for my early season. And then this time of the year, I usually start out with some female or young coyote house. Mm-hmm. And that's usually the first minute, but I'll pause the caller in between those howls and kind of give some time. And majority of the time this time of year, I have coyote sound back. And that sometimes even around noon, I'll have coyote sound off oh, wow, to those cool. howls. So, and then from there I'll transition into like a female submission sound, a pup distress or like fighting coyote sounds for this time of the year. Yeah. But that's basically my call sequence for coyotes for foxes. When I'm targeting Fox, I only focus on Fox. So I only use gray Fox sounds. Yeah. I'll switch it up between three or four gray Fox sounds. Cause that's the only thing I'm targeting. That's the only thing I care about. So I'll hit that for three to four different gray Fox sounds. And we've had so many Fox where we shoot one, another one will pop in, shoot it. Another one will pop in multiple times. Last year we had four to five Fox come in on single stands and this year I had one, we shot three on one stand, all from the exact same rock. They pop up, I shoot it, one fell down, <laughs> I shot one, fell exactly where I shot it, and the next fox came up and stepped over that dead fox, and I shot it. So Crazy. with fox, man, I just constantly keep calling. But fox stands, I'll usually only run about 15 minutes. Coyotes, typical average is 15 minutes. If I know that there's coyotes in that area, like if I know there's coyotes in here, I'll run it for 20, 25 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then if it's a small area, like a small quarter by a quarter mile section of cover, I'll only run that eight, 10 minutes and then move on to the next stand. Gotcha. But every single time I go to end a stand, this is one of the things I've learned is while that sounds still going, I'll stand up and take a look around and that has saved my butt. I don't know how many different times is taking that extra, extra step to look around your area before you end your stand. Cause this year I've, it's resulted in an extra four or five coyotes just by doing that. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's something, that's something bonus. I uh, learned a long time ago. <laughs> I, yeah. It was, I don't know how many years back, but I was with my father-in-law and, um, because I bow hunt, I don't usually stand up. I just sit there. I shut it off and I just sit there and I wait. And then I stand up slow and I look around. Because usually if you stand up with a bow, probably not going to get a shot off. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's just crazy how much that little bit of elevation difference. Yeah, yeah. Of a few feet. Oh, yeah. It changes everything. Oh, man. It's unreal. Changes everything. 
Yeah. I mean, just going from your butt to your knees makes a big difference. Yeah. So, but, um, yeah, I, I, so this one stand, I shut the call off. We waited for about a, you know, solid two minutes and I slowly got up, didn't see anything kind of looking around like, okay, I start walking over to the call and I get like five feet from the call and I see this coyote trotting in. I'm like, Oh my God, here he comes. So I kneel down real quick and I whiffed it because I guessed the yardage and I guessed wrong. But um, yeah, I was like, you know, three, four minutes after I had shut off the call and he was still coming and I had made a bunch of movement, you know, walking over and my father was standing up at that point too. And yeah, it was pretty crazy. Yeah. I've had that happen where I would go to set up a stand. I had this happen recently. I go to one of my favorite calling areas. I go, I set the collar out. And I don't like where I set the collar. So I stand up, I walk out there and there's a and I move it another 15 <laughs> yards. And I look up and there's two coyotes just standing there looking at me. And I hadn't even started in the call yet. Yep. They're just, it's just a coyote thick area. And I'm like, Oh, you idiot. I've had that. You, I've had that too. Unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> um, actually, I don't, I ahead. think it's the worst feeling in the world is when you educate coyotes it's it's hard yep it's a hard yep. feeling i had one work out really well for me once um kind of similar situation but i didn't i hadn't gotten up to, i had set the call down and i was breaking some branches underneath this tree but i was in the bush already i was in the it was a there was a palaverde i was in the palaverde but i was breaking some branches in there and, and rustling around a little bit and out of the corner of my eye, I see movement, and there's this coyote, and it's standing, it stopped like, I don't know, 17 yards out, but the grass was tall, but it was looking in my direction. It was trying to figure out what the hell I was. I already had knocked an arrow, and uh, I just drew back, and I shot him, and then I quickly hit the pup distress, and the whole pack came in. Oh, yeah. I had 15 dogs freaking running back and forth. <laughs> It was the first time I ever got a triple with my bow. Oh, that's freaking unreal. And um, yeah, it was pretty freaking nuts. I, w- I think I would have, I mean, I only had five arrows, so I would have got two more for sure. But that I don't know if you remember me having this on on social media. I don't remember if it was Instagram or Facebook at the time. But I uh, this guy who was camped out there, this homeless man, Came oh, I, up remember, and, I remember reading something about that. Yeah. <laughs> came up and was trying to, he was threatening to kill me. <laughs> and then he's like, I'm right. He was running to go get his gun and show me how it is. Uh, and uh, there's some different I, people. Bo- out I boogied out of there. I left the coyotes. I left my call. I left everything and just kind of got out of there. I was like, I'm not getting shot right now. I freaking, he was drunk as a skunk. And oh man, it was it was a weird situation. And then I went back later on, and I grabbed my call, and I grabbed the coyotes. Actually, he must have did something with one of them because I only found the two. I must have packed. <laughs> like I don't know. Probably made a mountain man hat to keep himself warm during the winter. Who knows? I have no clue. I have no that, clue. That uh, that whack a mole spot that I was telling you about. Uh huh. In two thousand nine. I was calling that area with a buddy 
and we used to be able, you know how I said there's a body of water. Well, we used to be able to drive the road around to the side where the cover actually is. So Mm -hmm. we'd nestle in that thick cover and I go to sit down and he goes to start the collar and I'm sitting on my butt with my shotgun. I look over and 10 yards away is a human skull. Oh shit. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh man, but I didn't want to ruin the stand. So I let him finish the call call sequence. I go grab him. I was like, Hey man, come check this thing out. So ended up marking the road with an X and then calling the sheriff's office and they ended up heading out there and, we ended up taking off. They ended up calling me later and kind of asking me just basically how it came across it. And that was it. But yeah. more than likely it's probably illegal. I yeah. They said they found nine in that area for that, for that month. So, nine. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. I've come across a couple down South in my, uh, in my many years of hunting down there, but not nine of them. That's a lot. <laughs> One little spot. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's crazy. It's probably why all those coyotes are there eating on people. Yeah. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Jesus. Well, you got any, uh, well, you, that was a pretty cool story, but you got any uh, good stories you want to share with us before I uh, let you go? Um, man, I, I love calling so that I could sit here and talk all day about different stands and different things that have gone on, but I guess some of the things that I've kind of learned along the way, mm-hmm. one of the biggest things that I tend to use and not many people, I guess some people know about, but it's helped me be successful along the way is I'd say about 90% of the coyotes that I, 90% of the coyote stands that I hunt, mm-hmm. I'm sitting on top of about a five or six foot ladder. Oh yeah. So that's, that's one of the things that I do different and the only downfall is it's you're not able to pack a rifle and a shotgun when mm-hmm. you're using the ladder you right. got to choose one or the other and sometimes you choose the wrong weapon so that's the only downfall so you either have a coyote that is out of shotgun range and you're wishing you had the rifle or you got a coyote that comes screaming in and you can't swing on them with a rifle mm. so but that's one thing that we've come to utilize quite often on all of our stands and i just get an old five foot or six foot wooden ladder spray painted up camo and then i'll mount a monopod on the side of the ladder when i'm using my rifle and just pack that in there and set that up against the tree to break up my outline and the visibility that you have opens up that's crazy unreal and then you're also to hunt you're also able to hunt a lot of areas that you wouldn't be able to hunt sitting down or standing up so that's uh that's a big key that i've come to use and utilize and then it's another thing it takes some getting used to because the risk of falling off the ladder i've had that unfortunately i've had that happen a couple times (laughs) you go to climb up the ladder and you got that hollow ground underneath you yep so I usually test the first couple steps before I start climbing all the way up. And then for Fox, I love calling Fox. And, uh, I think the reason why we killed so many of those Fox last year is because we looked for areas that were basically, we try to look for areas that are untapped by other people. Mm -hmm. So for Fox, I probably hike quite a ways 
quite a ways further than what most people would or willing to make for a, for a Fox stand. Mm -hmm. And then one thing I've learned is also watching that uphill because the majority of those Fox are coming from up high to down low. So being able to have that viewpoint mm -hmm. of looking uphill versus downhill is, has been key on that. I mean, always, like I said, we ended up with 48 Fox and majority of those were killed between February and March last year. So that's awesome. Yeah. yeah so. I, I stopped targeting Fox a while ago and I, not for any reason other than, I don't know. I'm like one of those guys. If I kill one, then I'm like good for the whole season. Like, yeah, uh, <laughs> I just love watching them bounce in. Like they're, 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 they're probably the funnest out of all predators to call in because they are, they really are almost fearless. Like they come in oh, yeah. ready for a fight. Like, like I said, they got short man's disease. Well, we had one last year come flying and we just, we dropped one Fox. This Fox comes flying in. Shoot and miss the first shot with the shotgun. Pepper it the second shot, and it still runs up, grabs the collar, and tosses it back and launches it, and it just goes down, barreling down the mountain 15 yards. And I'm like, holy cow. Nuts. Yeah, they're, they're freaking awesome. What, what uh, kind of shot are you using, and, you're, and what shotgun are you using? Uh, right that. now I'm using a – have you ever heard of a Gerson? Yeah. Okay, so I'm using a Gerson shotgun, and then I have a red dot mounted on top of that. Okay. And then for my shot, I'm using the Hornady, um, Hornady BB, the, I think it's called the Heavy Magnum Coyote Loads. Oh, yeah, I got those. I haven't tried them yet. I, got, I bought four boxes a long time ago, and they're sitting in my safe right now. Yeah, the nickel-plated, they work fairly well. I used to run the heavy shot dead coyotes constantly the three and a half inch mm -hmm. but i'm not sure if you've checked the prices of those lately oh yeah i'm sure they're I, they're ridiculous oh, Actually, i'm gonna man, double check and see which ones these are because no. it's unreal it's, i think it's they're around 50 to 60 bucks a box right now and i think you're only getting 10 shells in a box for those dead coyotes but i had an awesome shotgun um in 2009 mm -hmm. set up for long range and the furthest coyote i've ever taken was 113 yards of the shotgun but the yeah. downfall about that is your pattern was so close together at close ranges if you weren't right on that animal you were missing so that was the only downfall about that shotgun because you're basically shooting a racquetball out the barrel at close distances but, yeah, my my old shotgun that I killed it was actually my dad's gun. It's a Remington Model Eleven Hundred, and it was a pre-choked barrel. It was set up for goose hunting, and it's a two and three quarter inch, you know, it's an old school gun. Oh yeah, and I would shoot the Remington. Was that the? Uh, it was a high brass load. I think it only had nine double odd buck pellets in it but i killed a coyote at 100 yards with that and uh consistently many times at 70 70 and on there and that gun was god i missed that gun but i i ruined the barrel on it not ruined it but i just over the years too many shots through it and my father-in-law gave me his model 1100 
and it doesn't have the same barrel, but it's literally the exact same gun, but it doesn't shoot the same. I like I gotta find out what barrel that was on my on my dad's, but unfortunately. And then for for Fox, we like using the number four shot lead. Okay. Yeah, it was, I was I, what we like using for our Fox and then for my coyote rifle, we've been running fifty grain V Max and having really good success with that, not having uh, too many dogs get away at all. So, what caliber is that? Uh, two twenty-three. Two twenty-three. Okay. Yeah, and it hasn't. I mean, even that bobcat at five yards, mm-hmm. there was no exit hole on it. So, but I mean, that was straight on running at me. So, <laughs> yeah, I cha- I had. I don't even have a coyote rifle anymore. Technically, I turned my. I had a twenty-two two fifty, and uh, I turned it into a twenty-two Creedmoor. Oh, nice. But it's an 85 and a half green bullet. So it's really like a coos deer gun now. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty badass. I Although I, I, I would take it out for coyotes, just quite a bit more expensive to shoot a coyote with that gun. So, yeah, I'm looking at this. This is the 12 gauge double odd buck, three inch heavy magnum nickel bladed. That's what I got of those Hornady coyotes. I got to try those out. I haven't tried them out yet. I still, I still shit shoot two and three quarter and i i mean i can shoot three inch out of my benelli that's what i have a black eagle three um one of the super uh, black eagle yeah oh for whatever reason the wind came into my head um another thing i noticed what i've been noticing this year is when i'm out nighttime calling coyotes it feels at nighttime that they use large circles for the wind definitely a lot larger circles so that's one thing I've paid attention to and I've come to realize a lot at hunting at nighttime with artificial light. Mm-hmm. Those coyotes are circling, circling large and wide and they're definitely using the wind a lot more. It seems like at nighttime. So all the but, predator hunting that I've done in my life, I've never really done any nighttime hunting. Uh, it's, it's pretty awesome. I've been, I've been enjoying it. Um, it's it's different and it's i mean arizona we used to have a lot more areas open for nighttime calling yeah i was gonna say it's very area specific here isn't it yeah time of the year specific area specific we used to be able to hunt mountain lions at nighttime can't do that anymore so it's only coyotes it's only certain times of year it's only certain areas so that's another hard thing is trying to find good quality areas that you can see well at nighttime. Mm-hmm. So uh, you have to find a lot more wide open areas when you're using lights at nighttime. Mm. And uh, they definitely pay attention to the wind a lot more. So, yeah, well, you're taking but, away, you're taking away, you know, uh, their sight. So they have to go to their, their most formidable uh, sense at that point. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I've been wanting to go up to Unit 10 and nighttime call up there, but it's it's hard to make that drive all the way from Phoenix just to go up for a night of coyote calling. But I know. I, I've yeah. said it to myself for the last five or six years that I wanted to do like a three-day predator you know, trip to all these little places that I've always wanted to go and I never go to. Yeah. We... Uh, Oh, I had a client in 10 this year during the muzzleloader elk hunt. Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. So um, the first day I, I worked all night, no sleep, drove up there early in the morning to try to get up there before the sun came up and ended up coming up to a road that I'd normally take where it was washed out with water. So I ended up saying, screw it. I got my coyote collar in the back. I got my gun. So I went up and made a few coyote stands in between scouting, ended up dropping three dogs up there. And <laughs> that was fun. And then after my, after my client killed next day, I took him out for, I think we made three stands and I think we called three in on one stand. Oh yeah. He, he rolled one, but didn't recover it. It was, it was fun. He was pumped though. Seeing the excitement on his face. Cause he's never, never been coyote calling before. And it's a good feeling to kind of share that with other people. Yeah. We get, we get a lot of clients to come by one of the few outfitters out here, I guess that does, you know, take people out for predator hunting. Um, and they're always amazed on how they're like, that's the most fun I ever had in my life. Oh, I know. And I, I couldn't believe that I did taking this much time off of it. But I mean, the girlfriend loves doing it. She's my main hunting partner uh -huh. when we're out calling. And so it's fun to be able to get out and go with her. But I guess sometimes, sometimes I get a, a little feisty if we miss shots. <laughs> <laughs> So she probably doesn't like that aspect of it, but I just, I hate the feeling of educating pilots. <laughs> yeah. I'm the same way. I am the same way. And you know what? I did a lot of that when I was trying to perfect the whole bow hunting for them. Like yeah. you, you gotta get, you gotta get comfortable with seeing a lot of dogs run away, you know, well, I'm sure. or missing them or whatever. And, uh, yeah, yeah no, it's, hey, I'll make notes in my phone where I'm like, okay, this is a rifle stand. This is a shotgun stand. And then I'll also, so like my good producing areas, mm -hmm. I'll look for stands in other sections of the other ends of it in case the wind switches. Hey, I can hit it from the south end. I can hit it from the north end where to set up. So I've been getting pretty uh, anal, I guess, about some of my stands and how I set up on them. But it's been working. It's been productive. Nice. That's awesome. Well, awesome, man. Well, we got, uh, we got another month or so, a little, a little over a month. To, I mean, coyote hunting, we could do year round, of course, but you know, the fur, rest of the yeah. fur bearer. So, yeah. I, I'm, I might make it out on Monday. We'll see. You might go try to chase some fox on Monday is the game plan. I think I'm going to go make a stand tomorrow morning. Just one, one, maybe two. If I'm, if I can squeeze it in, I got some stuff going on at like eight o'clock. So maybe I can squeeze in two stands real quick. But, yeah. My, uh, oh, my girlfriend, she's due in May with our, our first baby boy. So she's, she hasn't been calling with me recently. Hmm. She did the first little bit. She's actually, she was on the OTC archery hunts with us. Oh, really? And, uh, oh, man, she was a trooper. Some of the glassing points that we were climbing up, and she actually came pretty dang close to hammering a, a buck. I think it was like 15 yards away, and she went to draw back her bow, and her, her uh, rangefinder cord got stuck in her quiver. Oh, shit. Yeah, and it I've was been there before. <laughs> but, yeah, so I'm kind of missing her as a hunting partner right now. So I've been mostly going solo the last few months but when you guys go double like that do you sit 
far apart from each other or do you sit together and one of you carries a shotgun, one of you carries a rifle? No, we'll usually spread out. Okay. Depending on the area, basically 30, 40 yards. And I'll usually place her on the downwind side. So and she, use, she usually uses the shotgun unless uh, we're not using the ladders and it's applicable to a, a rifle. Then she'll take the rifle and sit on the ground. But Gotcha. Yeah, we'll usually spread apart quite a bit. But we have done that back-to-back before me and my other hunting partner. We were in really super thick areas where you're basically crawling on your hands and knees through thick brush. Mm. We'll sit back-to-back, throw that collar just right by us. And we've done this a few times where call a little bit and typically i leave my ball or my call going constantly mm-hmm, me but too. when we hunt some of those thick areas we'll let it go for a little bit pause it listen let it go for a little bit pause it listen and you could hear you could literally hear the coyotes coming through the brush you know how loud fox are when they come in you can hear rock slide mm-hmm. but in that thick area we could hear coyotes coming in and that's fun when you're when you're in their bedroom i've had coyotes come all the way up to my boots yeah Oh, so have I. Very first time I saw Shane, one of my, you know, guys that I hunt with a lot and he guides for me. And first, one of the first times I took him predator calling, I took him into this super thick spot. He's like, what the hell are we going to do in here, man? Like, I might trust me. I had the bow and he had a shotgun and this thing came like two feet from him like right on top of him he 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 was so excited as he was coming up with the gun he shot his freaking coyote's foot off (laughs) and um then got got him with the second shot but he was like oh my god that was nuts i'm like yeah man that's the way i like to set up this is my this is my jam right here yeah it's definitely an adrenaline rush i like getting him in close it's so i like using the shotgun i don't think i had the patience for uh I think I get too frustrated at myself using my bow. It takes some doing, but once you do it a couple of times and you start figuring it out, you're like, you don't ever want to do it with anything else. I yeah, still like, well, the, I still like the shotgun, but you uh, haven't seen me shoot a bow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I doubt your, I doubt your bed. It's just saying, uh, I've, I've mostly gotten rid of the target panic. So yeah, that's, that's the best cure for target panic. Is oh, shooting bet. coyotes. It's a like drive-by shooting. You know how it is. They come <laughs> flying in, and you got two seconds to make it happen, and that's it. Well, anyway, well, cool, man. I want to thank you for coming on and you know sharing some of this knowledge with us. We uh, we definitely got to get out and do some coyote calling together. Yeah, for sure, John. I appreciate it. All right, thank you. Have a All good right, one. talk to you later. Right, bye. Hey guys, thanks for checking out the show. Really appreciate you. Keep those reviews and those comments coming. Helps us keep this free. Do me a favor. Go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20%, all one word. And check out Howl for Wildlife. Thank you very much. And we'll catch you on the next show.